DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents Begin Again, The Spiritual Legacy of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher was ordained in 1979 as a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He obtained his doctorate from the Gregorian University, and he has dedicated many years to an extensive ministry of retreats, spiritual direction, and teachings about the spiritual life. Father Gallagher is the author of several books published by the Crossroads Publishing Company on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the life of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. Father Gallagher is featured on the EWTN series, Living the Discerning Life, the Spiritual Teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Begin again. The Spiritual Legacy of Venerable Bruno Lanteri with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. When we last left Venerable Bruno Lanteri, he had been exiled, and it had looked as though those hopes and dreams that he had had come crashing down all around him. Everything had ended. All of his priestly ministry and uh, all of his relationships and connections with people, all of that had uh, ended with his forced exile by order of the French under Napoleon. Now, when he was exiled to his country home in the hills outside of Turin, which in those days was far removed, travel was a lot harder, it was a real exile. He had no idea of how long this was going to last. In the third year of that exile, the unexpected happened. Napoleon prepared an army of over 600,000 men and invaded Russia and was defeated by the enormous size of Russia by the tactic of the Russian armies that that instead of offering battle, simply retreated in front of him, burning the ground as they went. And then a long and ruinous retreat after the onset of the Russian winter. Of the over 600,000 men who entered Russia as part of his army, less than 35,000 survived. So that Napoleon returned with his military might for the first time now in many years, ever really, since his ascent to power, completely destroyed. And suddenly Europe awoke to the possibility that the now almost 20-year yoke of the, uh, the French and then under Napoleon's empire, his armies might suddenly be weakening. And in point of fact, Napoleon, uh, with astonishing energy, really strove to raise new armies and wage battles in the following year, 1813. But finally, in the first months of 1814, was completely defeated forced to abdicate, and was sent in exile to the island of Elba off the coast of Italy. With that, the entire situation for the uh, the nations of Europe and the church in Europe changed. The long yoke of Napoleon was broken, and the Europe entered into what is called historically the Restoration, the attempt to put things back to what they had been, national borders and the various kingdoms, Uh, and the church, the church's life, to restore things to the way they had been before uh, Napoleon had upset things for so many years. Now, with that, and coincidentally, the very day in which Napoleon left was the very day in which the Venerable Lanteri, accompanied by Father Logero, left the Granja and returned to Turin, and there found that everything needed to be done. The word restoration really fit the historical period. It, not only the city 
and a nation was in ruins. But the, the church, too, in a very real way, because the, the seminaries, the different monasteries, religious communities, I mean, they were assaulted in such a way that they were often left in ruin. Sure. Uh, religious communities had been closed. Life of the parishes had been crippled. And for almost 20 years, there had been, at best, a very haphazard life of faith for the people in their parishes and the institutions in which the church ordinarily runs its life. So that you had a generation that had not been catechized, marriages that needed to be put into order, first sacraments that still needed to be received, seminaries had been closed. So this was a time in which great energy was necessary. And one of the works of grace that we witness in these early years of the 19th century is that the the energy was there in the church. The Venerable Anteri is one of many who stepped up to the need, strove to renew and restore and deepen the life of the church. So yes, this was a time in which everything needed to be done and in which for the first time in 20 years, it was possible now to begin to act. Now, we don't want to exaggerate the restoration either because the seeds of the Enlightenment and a secular form of government that was hostile to the church and an atmosphere in the academic world and the literary world that was hostile to the church, increasingly secular, those seeds were deeply sown. And although the kings could return to their thrones now, those seeds remained. And so what we witness at this point is not an overt persecution of the church, but an increasing hostility to it and an increasing endeavor to diminish the role of the Catholic Church within what until then had been Catholic cultures. So this this is an uneasy time in a different way now for the church. There is freedom, but there will be hostility on the part of the government and the establishment and politically and academically and the rest in many ways. And it's in that environment which is really in many ways the beginning of the modern world. It's in that environment that the Venerable Antari and his collaborators will find a way to rejuvenate the life of the Church. Father Gallagher, could we draw in some ways parallels with the period in our own lifetime of what happened with the fall of the Soviet bloc back in the late 80s, early 90s, and what seemed to be a period where a restoration should and needed to have occurred. Yes, I think we can. If we think of countries like Poland, for example, which were classically Catholic countries and in which the church did not have the freedom, other than within very circumscribed limits, to, to live its life, and suddenly the freedom is there. I think you can see the parallel not only in terms of the increased freedom now for the church to live its life, but also the the temptations that come with that kind of freedom. Father Gallagher, what was it like for Venerable Bruno to have that period of such uh, oppression, of such persecution and suffering, and then to so surprisingly have that lifted with this new open door? Well, I think above all, it was enormously happy for him. And I think a little bit of thought can um, help us understand that, that his exile ended. 
he was allowed to return to the city of Turin, the places and the relationships that he'd so loved, and again had the freedom to exercise his priesthood. He could hear confessions again. He could administer the sacraments. And he could, as he did, begin uh, very quickly to work with both lay people and priests to supply them the formation that would allow them to go out into the new cultural situation as disciples of Jesus and spread the faith. This was always his work. Because of the limitations of his, his health, he would almost never be out in the front line himself. But what he would do with amazing fruitfulness was quietly in the back places be working with the priests and the laymen and women who would go out into the frontline situations in the political life and the cultural life of the nation, the educational life of the nation, and in terms of lay people into the families and into the parishes and the business world as well-prepared disciples of Jesus, people who were deeply rooted in their faith through a solid life of prayer and deep life of the sacraments, who could then go out into those places and make an enormous difference. You could almost say that that was his mission in life. Um, He wasn't able to go to the missions himself for physical reasons, but he inspired other priests to go. He found financial resources for missionary bishops, sent thousands of books, even to our own United States, for example. And the pattern repeats throughout his life. Deeply rooted in the Lord himself, with great energy, he will awaken in other men and women a deep desire and love for the Lord. And I would say the, the daring to want to be saints, and to not set limits to what God's grace can do in our lives. And I think, Chris, we often do do that. And then when we meet someone like a venerable Antari, his own life and his quiet but strong and insistent teaching is don't set those limits. God calls every one of us to be a saint, and you can be that. And you can be a disciple for Jesus whose life, as a believable witness to the faith, can impact the lives of men and women around us and bring them to the Lord Jesus. We can't overstate, can we, the importance of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius at this point in his, in his life. He would always say that the only real way to understand that, Chris, to understand the, in his mind, the unique power of this spiritual richness found in the exercises, the only way to understand that is to experience it. And so that would be his invitation, and certainly would remain his invitation today to anyone who maybe has heard something about the spiritual exercises or knows of others who have found them fruitful, knows of others who have um, done some reading about Ignatian spirituality and found that valuable. His insistent invitation would be try it. Connect with somebody who knows something about the Ignatian spiritual exercises. Go to a talk or a series of talks on Ignatian spirituality if that's available in your area. If an Ignatian retreat is being offered, an Ignatian-inspired retreat is being offered in your parish, go to it. If there's a retreat house in the area where it's possible to make a single day or a weekend or longer, the, the, the forms of giving the Ignatian exercises are as varied as the spiritual needs of the people who approach them, then try to do that. 
And as a venerable and Terry spiritual son, I'll, I'll simply say that I share his conviction now after 30 years of ministry with the spiritual exercises. They have a unique power because they are so concrete. We might read, for example, the works of St. John of the Cross and be deeply inspired and uplifted to know that these kinds of spiritual experience are possible, but might easily feel that that would be for others at a different place in the spiritual life that I might be. That never happens with Ignatius of Loyola because he is always speaking right on the level of the person who approaches him. There is nothing in his teaching about prayer or the the sequence of themes on which to meditate which cannot be available to any dedicated disciple of the Lord Jesus. So his invitation would be, and remains today, uh, here is an astounding richness, 500 years of Christian men and women since Ignatius wrote these in the 16th century. For 500 years, men and women have found these enormously fruitful. And that richness is available to all. That finally is what will lead him to found his community of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. The conviction that we have this practical, uniquely valuable spiritual richness, which awakens desires of sanctity in those who make them, his retreat. And it is not as available as the church needs. And so the church needs a group of men who are skilled in this and in every way they can make these Ignatian spiritual exercises available. They really, they really make a wonderful difference in the life of anyone who is seeking the Lord. We'll return to Begin Again with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. The Councils of Mercy, an excerpt from the writings of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Above all, I recommend with all my heart that you guard against discouragement, disturbance, and sadness. Seek always to keep your poor heart in peace and encourage it, and always to serve God with holy joy. Be of good heart, because the Lord is with you, and He loves you. For more excerpts from the writings of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, visit discerninghearts.com. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. 
We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. A prayer for the intercession of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. O Father, fountain of all life and holiness, you gave Father Bruno Lanteri great faith in Christ your Son, a lively hope, and an act of love for the salvation of his brethren. You made him a prophet of your word and a witness to your mercy. He had a tender love for Mary, and by his very life he taught fidelity to the church. Father, hear the prayer of your family, and through the intercession of Father Lanteri, grant us the grace for which we now ask. May he be glorified on earth, that we may give you greater praise. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We now return to Begin Again with Father Timothy Gallagher. I find it fascinating that in this period in his life, in the Restoration time, that there would be that desire to get knowledge of the faith, spiritual readings, out into the hands of others. But then also to never disconnect it from that importance of prayer and the type of prayer that allows the person in union with Christ, essentially in the heart of that prayer, to discern what it is in that spiritual reading they're being called to do in the culture. Yes, for, for the Venerable and Terry, these two practices will always go together, spiritual reading and then daily prayer, which for him easily is inspired by the richness of the Ignatian exercises, which are, as I've said, very adaptable uh, in, in many different ways. The spiritual reading is important, and as we've said in other conversations, let's amplify that today to the various electronic means of doing what was only available in his day through the printed page, and so through videos and DVDs and podcasts and websites and the rest. The importance of that kind of spiritual reading or spiritual listening, I suppose we could say today, is that that is the way in which new content comes into our life of faith. That is the way in which we grow in understanding, for example, what the Mass is, or what it means to belong to the Church, or what is prayer, or what does it mean to say that that God loves us, what does it mean that Jesus is both God and man, what happens when we go to the Sacrament of Confession. We can live our life of prayer and the sacraments with any degree of knowledge, and God's grace will always work. But much changes, for example, 
if I have just read a book about what the Mass is, listened to a series of conferences off a website about what the Mass is, I will find that when I now go to Mass on Sunday or during the week, the experience has become richer because I understand more deeply what's going on. And as knowledge grows, love grows. The more we know a person, for example, the deeper the love for the person can be. And that's true in general. The more I know about what the Mass is or what confession is or what it means to belong to the Church, the more my heart will grow in its attachment and its love for these spiritual realities. And then I'll live them in a new way. So that's always one piece that is of great importance in the spiritual life. Is there some space in my spiritual day and week in which I am taking in new content about my faith. In Lanteri's time, that would have been, am I doing spiritual reading? And this would be the counsel that I've mentioned before to the married woman, mother of six children, try to read at least one page a day if you can. The members of his Christian friendship group, for example, throughout all of their life would read half an hour a day of spiritual reading throughout the entirety of their lives. And then the second piece, and the heart of it finally, and for which the spiritual nourishment through reading or listening matters, is the direct relationship with God through prayer. And so the parallel and really deepest question is, is there somewhere in my spiritual day, in spiritual week and month and year, in which I am giving time in some formal way, in a way that fits with my vocation, but in some formal way, daily, am I giving time to a space of relationship with God through prayer? Now that can be through a slow and reflective reading of Scripture or Lectio Divina, it can be through um, a meditation made through, with the help of the Ignatian teaching or different spiritualities. It can be through praying the rosary in a very contemplative and deep way. And on and on. There are endless ways in which we can pray. But for Venerable and Terry, the key will always be, is prayer at the heart of my life? Now, if we have these two things in our spiritual day, new spiritual richness and content, through reading or listening, and some space of communion with God in prayer, and then we're going to grow. And then our lives are going to become a source of spiritual strength and energy for others. I also find it quite wonderful that he, in that heart of the pastor that he would have, would again make materials available for not only his area, but would as you've said, send it to the United States and to other places. I mean, this period is, what, 18, anywhere from 1815 to the 1820s. And this is not, uh, we, we would be mistaken in thinking this was an easy road for the Catholic Church in particular to travel. There was much out there that uh, did not foster the Catholic appreciation of faith and some, and in some ways, would be even hostile to it. Yes, and that's the very reason why, with such energy taught by his own spiritual mentor, Father Diesbach, as we've said earlier, he was so deeply convinced of the need of Catholics, firm, zealous, convinced Catholics, to become prepared, to learn, become formed in their faith, and then enter right into that cultural arena bringing the means of communication now, but bringing them in service of the faith. I'd say there's two things that come to mind with regard to 
the struggle involved. One was that the feeling that a Catholic could have was of being very small and very limited in resources compared to an overwhelming presence pushing in a secular direction within the culture through the means of communication, which was the book. And Venerable Ann Terry's answer is, is very simple. Everywhere you live, there are always dedicated Catholics. Get them together. Receive, grow in this kind of formation in the faith. And then use the means that you have for this goal to promote and spread the faith through the means of communication that we have. That more than anything else, he, he was convinced, would multiply the numbers of Catholics who would then multiply all the different works of the church. And, and a way of getting uh, an image of what these thousands of books that he, through the Catholic Friendship Group, as it was now called, sent to our United States, would be that the bishop who was appointed as the apostolic administrator of what was then the Diocese of Louisiana had a territory that today covers 11 different states and reach, reached from Louisiana in the south up to the Rocky, out to the Rocky Mountains and up to Canada. At the same time, he was the administrator of Florida, which uh, was its own diocese. And to cover that entire territory when he was appointed as the administrator of that diocese, he had 12 elderly priests. Okay. You can imagine in that setting, when there were so few priests and members of the church to reach out, and until those structures um, would be formed as they would be over the years, to have these books to, to give as means of formation in the faith would have been an invaluable resource for them. At the same time, Venerable Anteri also found priests, uh, approached priests in Europe, who expressed their willingness to join the bishop in his diocese of Louisiana, and a number of them actually went. He really seems to have been a forerunner of what we would understand the new evangelization to be. I'm just recalling the the teachings of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI when he said that it's so important to not only have, as we've been discussing, the knowledge of the faith, but to have the ability to make that journey from the head to the heart. And when you look at that the outreach now throughout the entire world, there's even calls to help on the continent of Africa as well as other parts of the world to continue to be able not just to give information, but to give them aids in the journey. I think you could say in our terms now, using um, that phrase of the new evangelization, that in the culturally different, but different only to a degree, circumstances of his time, that was the type of evangelization to which he dedicated his life. That is, to a culture that was nominally Catholic, but in which, because of the impact of the Enlightenment and the French Revolution and all the wars and everything that had followed, was rapidly falling away from the practice of its faith. Right in those circumstances, to be an instrument to renew and reawaken and re-energize the faith of, of those born into Christianity, those born as Catholics, that was the goal and the work of his life. He didn't travel very much in his life. Part of that would have been for reasons of health. But what he, he did do was write in a culture that had been thoroughly Catholic 
and was now weakening rapidly in the practice of his Catholic faith, of its Catholic faith. He was a presence awakening priests, religious, and countless laymen and laywomen to the, the richness and the blessing and the gift of their faith, deepening them in an understanding and knowledge of it, growing, as you say, through prayer from head into moving into the heart. And that's a remarkable thing if you think about it. To take a Christianity and a Catholic life which had become weakened and worn and seemed to be waning within the culture and in a way that is literally almost without parallel in the history of the entire church, awaken um, a wave of sanctity right within his own local area um, is a remarkable thing. And I say um, without exaggeration, probably without parallel in the history of the church. I think I've quoted earlier that in the 19th century in uh, his little country of Piedmont, so we're looking at a geographical area the size of something like the state of New Hampshire or Vermont, there were 60 men and women whose causes of canonization were introduced. And of the 60, 30 of them right within his own city of Turin, which is simply astounding if you think about it, and which gives an enormous message of hope. That is, you know, the forces that seem to be weakening the practice of Christianity in the culture around us can seem so enormous and our own presence so small and so limited that we can almost wonder, can any individual within the church really make a difference? And here's an answer. Quiet, faithful, on fire, dedicated life of one who deeply loves the Lord, who lives a life of prayer, is seeking to grow in that faith, is capable of, well, it's the gospel rule of the 100 for one. You know, the seed planted in good ground that gives 30, 60, and a um, hundredfold, or the mustard seed that grows into um, a tree beyond imagining. That, that, that law is always there when members of the church are willing to live their faith seriously. And I would say among the many gifts that the life of Venerable Lanteri is to the church today is this witness that one man or one woman who seriously resolves to practice, to live, and to give witness to the faith can become that kind of mustard seed. How wonderful, Father Gallagher. I, I wish we had more time. I, final thoughts on this aspect of our conversation. That there is always hope, and always more hope than we can imagine, because all God needs is just a little space in our hearts and our lives, and he can do great things. Thank you so much, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Begin Again, the spiritual legacy of Venerable Bruno Lanteri with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We pray that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, 
We ask that you tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Begin Again, the spiritual legacy of Venerable Bruno Lanteri with Father Timothy Gallagher.